This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Mark. I'm Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry. And I'm Lena. And so we're going to pick up where we left off and continue with this doctrine of the Trinity. And the reason for it is simply because there's nothing more important than that. Um, Until you have a proper understanding and a sound understanding of God, everything else is going to... struggle. Would you agree with that? I would. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, Okay. So (laughs) bottom line, it's just, it's foundational. It's non-negotiable. In fact, I'd be so bold as to say you can't be a Christian um, and then follow a God who's not the true God. When when it talks about believing uh, in in God, you have to have the biblical God. Uh, It's really that simple. And yet all over the place today in the churches, we're having this vague God that uh, is being preached and taught that is not the God of the Bible. So when you strip all the things down, one of the key doctrines about God is the fact that he's revealed himself as a triune God. So we're going to dive into the deep end on that. We're going to talk about the person of God. We're going to talk about how he uh, reveals himself in the Bible. And so why? Well, the reason is, as I've already intimated, it's very vague in in people's understanding right now. Uh, churches flat out fail to teach on it, or they teach an unbiblical um, view of it. Uh, along with the overt biblical teaching, there also needs to be a, a sense of a historical context as well, so that we don't go into fight over, uh, rather fight battles over and over again that have already been fought. I'm reading through that you know, a volume thing on church history. And it's just interesting, some of the things that the early, early church prior to Nicene Creed being written, they just had to fight through. And I'm I'm looking at the things that are being said. I'm reading some of the original documents. And it's like, this is the same garbage we're doing again, because nobody knows their history mm. um, and their theology. And so when people uh, ask questions regarding the Trinity, a lot, of t- a lot of your Bible teachers end up becoming very uncomfortable, and they get very vague. Either they're afraid of what the people are going to think, like this is too hard, or they honestly just don't know what to say. Um, and, and again, it gets into the nature of our preaching today, because we think everything has to be relevant or practical, and somehow getting into the doctrine of the Trinity um, isn't practical in their eyes. It, it, instead, they just see it as an intellectual exercise, and this is this is just flat out deadly to the church. Because once you start to lose the person of God, you're going to lose the gospel itself. And so, a solid belief, a solid understanding of the Trinity becomes key to the purity of the gospel. In fact, to have a wrong belief about the Trinity is to have a wrong belief about the gospel. Um, that they are inextricably bound up with each other. Um, in the end, it really comes down to this, um, to knowing the true God, but as he's revealed himself 
And if you have some other view of God, you actually have an idolatrous view. Uh, you've, you've worship, you're worshiping a God that you've imagined uh, rather than a God who has revealed himself. Um, so worship, true worship, is what is at stake. So all that to say is the doctrine of the Trinity is not a minor point that Christians can just agree to disagree on. Yeah, that's correct? a lot simpler way of saying yeah. all the other stuff I just said. So, I mean, because it comes down to understanding the three persons of the Godhead. So either Jesus is God or he's not, the Holy Spirit's God or he's not, but as he's revealed himself in those functions. Right, right. Um, and so if, if they're not, then there's going to be some massive repercussions to that. Um, in fact, we could say if the Trinity isn't true, then Jesus would be a liar. Um, yeah. I mean, we see in John 14, 16, he tells the disciples, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper uh, that he may be with you forever. And that, that word there, another, is an, an important word. This is somewhat technical, but um, Greek has two different words for another. Um, the first one is heteros, which means different of another kind. Right. Um, but Jesus uses the word alos, which means another of the same kind or same nature. Um, and so, so if Jesus is God, um, then he's also calling the spirit God as well. Right. And so you're going to either have to embrace statements like that. We're going to look at a lot of them over the next few podcasts that Jesus has said um, that the Bible declares. And we're either saying these are true or they're not true. You have to do something with them. Yeah. So, so the doctrine of the Trinity, um, it's, it's deep, it's complex, but at the same time, it's something that's very beautiful and something that's very important. And so we, we spend a lot of, you know, so much trying, time trying to figure it out that we end up missing the grandeur of, of who God is and what's actually before us. Yeah, as you wrestle with it, you're going to at some point have to kind of come up for air and pull back and just remember you're contemplating the person of God, the person of God. And that's, yeah. it's, it's just, that's why it's so hard. With the goal, uh, with the goal being worship. Yeah. 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 And it, yeah, if you don't, then what you do is you now make... God somehow a specimen that you're going to examine. And it's like, yeah, you ought not to do that. That's never helpful. Right. So we thought it'd be helpful to walk through some basic affirmations of the Trinity. And so what one of the first affirmations that we would say is that there are some problems that seem to arise when we talk about God as Trinity or Trinitarian. And so you want to... Yeah. Yeah. So you have like the Shema. Uh, which is in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Um, as I said, it's part of the Shema. It's something that any faithful Jew would say every day. Um, it, it's something like today we would maybe think of John three sixteen, just extremely well known. But it it makes a very strong abiding statement, and that is that the God of Israel, the true God, is one God. And, and this is where we get the whole idea of monotheism. Um, and that seals it for some people. They, they're like, so God is just one. There's, um, we don't have to go beyond that. But it's, it's far more complex than yeah. just saying, well, he's just one. Um, and so, as you go through the Bible, you have this constantly growing depository of revelation from God. Um, and so, you also have these promises that start to come up about the seed 
or the branch or the or wisdom or the shepherd or the son or the prophet or the king. All of those are statements related to God, and they are expanding your understanding of who he is. But then you also end up with mentions of the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit. Uh, along with that, there's all sorts of other passages which should have caused the nation of Israel to slow down in their quick conclusions. Um, I mean, we haven't gotten into the old, uh, the New Testament, but w- there there's very clear statements in the Old Testament even that show you an indication that God is far more complex than just casually saying there's only one God. Um, this oneness of God, in other words, is what's at the heart of the anger that the religious leaders had during Jesus's day, because when they w- he would say certain things, they realized he is making himself on par with God, and there's only one God, right. and they're looking at Jesus. He can't be it. And so, because he didn't fit into their theology, um, and their hearts were so hard, all they tried to do was, in fact, kill him. So, there's the problem. If God is one, then how how can we say that the Father is God, and the Son is God, and, and the Holy Spirit is God? It's really that simple. Yeah. So, um, you know, so alongside that, that seeming problem, um, comes the ability then to faithfully describe the the Trinity itself as it's as it's revealed in Scripture, and so you know it's it's fairly easy to prove that Christ and the Spirit are God, uh, but what becomes challenging um, is explaining how how these three make up God, and yet at the same time it's but one God. Yeah, um, it just it just gets complex, and categories come into play that make our minds blow up a little bit, but. Um, so the question we have to ask is: Is three and one a contradiction or, or a paradox? Um, you know, what does what does oneness mean? What are we talking about right. when we say that? Um, are all three co-equal in every sense? Are they all fully God, or are they all a third of God? Or you know, what's going on with all this? And so these are some of the questions that need to be asked. Well, and it took place early in history, as I I had alluded to earlier in this talk, is um, it was a huge issue. It required a lot of talk, a lot of prayer. Um, and a lot of fighting. I mean, it got vicious uh, as they were debating these things and and trying to wrestle through how is God revealed in the Scripture. Um, and I'm convinced that there's not been a new thought regarding this. Um, I mean, we're just rehashing old arguments over and over and over again. Um, and so, even though you'll hear somebody come up and say that they have a novel idea of God— and how the Trinity works. In fact, it's just old. You just we're ignorant of our history, so we oftentimes don't know what's going on. Yeah. So, how about we give some just a, a brief overview of Trinitarian history, um, and and primarily where some errors or what we'd call heretical teachings crept in. Um, and I mean, so we have two that we want to talk about. Yeah. And if you're sleepy while you're listening to this, this would be a great time to pause, get a nap, and then come back. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but we got to know about it because yeah. I bet you ten to one, some of the people listening have heard these errors now. Yeah. I mean, we've got friends who are uh, holding to this these errors. Yeah. Um, so. But it, and and I would say these are these are some some big words that you know, mean something. But back in the day, everyone was catechized on this stuff. Yeah. Like these were the, the average churchgoer w- was being taught this 
I mean, we don't do this anymore. Which again reveals to you how far the American church, yeah. especially, has fallen. So, so we're we're not trying to be in some lofty, you know, ivory tower here. These are just basic classic terms that come with the study of the Trinity. Yeah. So the first one that is an overarching one is called monarchianism. Uh, and it just comes from the word monarch. Um, and I didn't know this. Um, and, and the idea of monarch, I always thought just as king, but it also has to do with the fact that he's indivisible and supreme. Uh, he's the sole authority. So it's a strong emphasis upon the oneness of God at, through this idea of monarchianism, but it shows up in two ways. You want yeah. to explain the first one? Sure. The, uh, the first one's called adoptionism or adoptionistic monarchianism. Yeah, that's, a, <laughs> that's yeah. something just a spring during turkey. Yeah. Um, spring during turkey? <laughs> turkey dinner. Leave me alone. It's been a long day. Okay. <laughs> Can we get back to adoptionistic monarchianism? Yeah, no, I mean... Mark's just popping caffeine pills over there. Um, so, so adoptionistic monarchianism is, is basically just the idea that, that Jesus was human. He was a human being in every single sense. Um, and then there was a point in time, and you're going to see this in Matthew 3.17, where he, he is baptized and the Spirit ascends upon, descends upon him. Um, but he was just a, a human being, and then God chose this human named Jesus and adopted him. Right. Um, and so then you, you hear those, those words come out of heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Right. So th this is- But he's just a man. Just He's just a man, yeah. And so you, you often see this one uh, in Eastern mysticism, you know, new age type type of religions. Right, right. So that, that's the first one. The second one? And it, this one is very common today. It's called modalistic monarchianism or just modalism. Um, all this is is the belief that the father, the son, and the spirit are just numerically one and the same. They just appear in different modes. So the way I, I, I explain it to people is it's like God has three hats. There's only one God, but he puts on three hats. One, sometimes it's a father hat, sometimes it's a son hat, sometimes it's the spirit hat. Um, and that's all it is. So we're just seeing different expressions of God or different uh, modes of God, and it's extremely common today in the pulpits, um, in in formal, uh, in the formal what would you call it um, denominations. There's one called Oneness Pentecostalism. Um, if people know who T. D. Jakes is, he's yeah. he's part of the Oneness Pen Pentecostalism. This is a heretical position, and yet. People right and left hold him up as as a godly Christian example of virtuous preaching and living. It's like the guy doesn't have a proper understanding of who God is, yep. um, and they teach it. The same thing you're going to hear in uh, what's known as the apostolic or the Jesus name only Pente Pentecostalism. Yeah. And also, I find it very common, strangely enough, in a lot of the house churches in America. And that's because I'll, many of them have never really done any serious study, and so they're all just kind of sitting around and sharing what they think it means, and it's not, it works. It works in your mind until yeah. you start actually doing yeah. real well, study. I mean, the, the Matthew 3 passage is a major problem. Why? Because it, it's an excellent point. Yeah. Well, you, you have Jesus being baptized. Mm -hmm. He comes up out of the water, and then the Spirit descends, descends. upon him, and then you hear this voice oh, from heaven. Yeah. Saying this is my son. All at the same time. So so if it's all happening at <laughs> once, how can they be taken on different modes and different 
well, places. Well, I know. It's, it's because, because you don't understand. I mean, remember, God's all-powerful, so he can put those hats on really fast. Mm-hmm. That's what exactly what Real I was fast. thinking. Yeah. Really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Is this what The Shack is based off? No, but The Shack, the book The Shack does have a modalism. They, they do a modalistic uh, teaching of, right. yeah, it's, it's terrible. He almost borders on tritheism, three gods. Oh, yeah, um, sure. Depending on how you want to read them. Either way, it's just garbage. Huh. That's yeah. my personal Don't read it. No, it's, it's <laughs> not. Not. You want me to tell you how I really feel? I mean, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, sure. the shack is a good example of that. Okay. And then we also have the second major one. Um, you want to introduce sure. it? Yeah, so that was monarchianism. This one's called Arianism. Um, and so Arius was a guy in the, the fourth century, and he argued that essentially God is immutable and eternal and therefore indivisible, immutable, meaning he's unchanging, right. um, and that he's also eternal and he can't be divided. Um, and so therefore anyone else by definition has to be created. Right. Um, if he's unchanging, you know, and eternal in his unchangeableness. Um, and, and therefore, what you have to hold in this position is that the son was created first in creation. He's the very first created thing. And then so through the son, all things were created. And they're going to pull on cl- passages like Colossians 1.15. Yeah, and we'll, do, uh, we'll deal with that passage uh, in a later podcast. But, um, you know, that one says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And he seizes on the idea of being firstborn as being he was the first Numerically. Right. Yeah. And, and temporally in time mm-hmm. um, that uh, of all the creation. So he's the highest in it and the first in creation, but he was a created yeah. person, right. being. Yeah. And then, you know, it, the Holy Spirit in that view is essentially just a force or maybe an attribute of God, but he's not a person. He doesn't right. possess personhood. Um, and so that's what they do with, with the Son and the Spirit. Um, and so this was something that, was going on in the early church. It crept back in again during the time of the Reformation, um, during the 1500s, um, where there was a similar era called Socinianism. Yeah, it keeps showing up. Yeah. Um, Later on in the 1700s, 1800s, it was known as deism or rationalism. And so today, I mean, you're going to see this with your Jehovah's Witnesses and other cults like that, the Church of Christ. Yeah, there's... I added in our notes one, um, I can't pronounce it probably correctly, but Inglesia Ni Cristo. It's the Church of Christ. It's this Hispanic cult uh, in California that's now starting to get hundreds of thousands of followers. Mm-hmm. And um, and he's, he, the guy's scary. And it's, it's kind of taking in the Hispanic uh, Spanish-speaking uh, part of America by storm, as if this guy is truly understanding scripture right for the first time. So, yeah. Mm. So, Sinianism is Arianism. Jehovah's Witness—they're just Arius. Uh, that it's the same error. It keeps showing up, and it's wrong. It's heresy, and and we need to be able to say it that way. That's the guy that Santa Claus socked in the nose, right? Arius. You guys, never heard that story. Saint Nick, you mean? Well, Santa yeah. Claus. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. Who, I know <laughs> the story. Way to take us off. Sorry, script, it's a good though. story. Yeah, it is. That's the Santa Claus that we celebrate in our house. The guy that punched heretics. Yeah, you got you got to like that guy. Um, <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. You don't even know what you celebrate in your Sorry. own house, Mark. 
Yeah, he just lets I, I, all sorts of pagan filth enter. The, you know, yeah, flood through, flood through. I knew there was. I knew there was something sketch around Christmas. I was. I was heard there was an issue with it, but I never really looked a whole lot into it. Mm. I'm always just kind of control the the amount of presence. It's so focused on that point. Yeah, this is really going downhill fast. Yeah, okay. no one really cares. And so, knees popping out. And, yeah, yeah, right. I'm just, my, did you hear my knee just pop no, out? But I heard you yeah. jumping and grabbing knees. So oh, I assumed you're going to pop out. Yeah. Anyhow, everyone's I now like, yeah, let's just find a, find somebody else to listen to. Anyhow, yeah, sure. so what we're going to do is with that brief historical um, setting, we're going to talk about the person of God, how the Bible reveals him, and we're going to attack it in two different ways. Um, first, we're going to talk about the oneness of God because we have to do that. We, if not, we end up with tritheism, right? Two, uh, three gods. Uh, so we have to make certain that there's one God. So we're going to just give some scripture that talks about that. And then we're going to talk about the fact that God reveals himself in three persons. And then we'll try to put all that stuff together, right? All right. Sure. Yeah. So Old Testament passages. We're just going to give a few. Um, there's a lot that we could, but we're going to just give you a few of them um, that emphasize God's uh, oneness, the fact that there's one God. So, you want to read the first sure. one? Sure. Exodus 15, 11, who is like you among the gods, O Lord, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders. Yeah. And the, and the it's a rhetorical series of questions, and the, the answer presumed is, of course, none. Yeah. Uh, so then in Deuteronomy 3.24, mm. it says, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works? And mighty acts is yours. And again, emphasizing the fact that the God of Israel, Yahweh, is the true God. There's nothing that can com- nothing and no other type of God that could compare to him. He's, he's, un- he's unique. Yeah, Isaiah forty three ten. Similar before me, there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. Yeah, that one just is brutal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, but but it, in Isaiah, there Isaiah is speaking against the nation um, who have gone away from Yahweh, the one true God, and they're chasing every god under the sun. And and here God is saying, look, whatever god you ch- you're chasing after, there was none before me, and there will be none after me. I'm it. And and you and you're abandoning me, so Isaiah 45 does the same thing in verse six. I am Yahweh, and there is no other besides me. There is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me. And so here he's actually reiterating his covenant love with them, but he's just making it clear there is no other God. Yeah. So we um, we say all that because it's important for us to remember that. Oftentimes, an error can also be made by people when they're when they're talking about the Trinity, and that in an effort to prove the triuneness or the trinitarian nature of God, they end up mm. denying, at least functionally, the oneness of God. Yeah. And so, if I mean, I, if you're to, and I'm guilty of this too, sometimes, um, you know, if you're to talk to a good trinitarian Christian, um, I think most will admit that they do fall into a trap of thinking that God is three separate gods in some sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's because our brain's trying to grasp, of course, yeah, an infinite God, and, yeah. oh. and we have to just be careful. Yeah, so we have to understand God as three, but never at the expense um, of remembering that we simply serve one God. Yeah. So the idea then that God is one is is far broader than you know merely stating a numeric value. Um, 
we, as we saw in those Isaiah passages, and you kind of mentioned, it's it's also stating that there's no other God. Right. Um, He's alone. Yeah. It's it's un- his uniqueness, his his utterly otherness as well. Um, and so we're gonna flesh some of that out and talk about how that truth impacts our worship and salvation here in a little bit. But how about we talk about some of the New Testament teachings on the oneness? So yeah, then you come into the New Testament and they just start picking up the same kind of um, statements. Um, in fact, in Mark chapter twelve, verses twenty-eight and twenty-nine, we don't need to quote it again. It's just the Shema. Uh, Jesus actually quotes the Shema, and in doing so, affirms the oneness of God. Yeah. So, he, he which just, that would be bizarre. I mean, because he is God. <laughs> there, there are several in there. Um, I mean, can you imagine? I, I always wondered if he had a little smirk on his face when he says, "Before Abraham was, I am," and just watch everyone go into conniption fits. <laughs> you know, tearing it's like, oh yeah, they're tearing, they're freaking out. <laughs> right. Everyone's looking for a rock to throw at him, and then he just like. <laughs> Disappears. disappears. <laughs> and you're like, clearly you're messing with someone you shouldn't. Um, yeah. But, yeah. and then in Romans 10, um, another passage in verses 11 and 12, it says, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, abounding in the riches for all who call on him. Now here, it doesn't sound like it's talking about the oneness of God, but it is because it's talking about the doctrine of God's oneness in relationship to salvation. There is only one Lord, and he's Lord. He, so it's we're not talking about the God of the Jews. And, okay, there's only one God for the Jews, but, you know, the Canaanites can have right. their God. All of those other gods are false gods from the biblical perspective, Old or New Testament. And so he that's the point that he's just simply God. He is the creator, the sustainer for both the Jew and the Greek, the believer and the unbeliever. There is only one Lord. In fact, uh, James even uses that later on in his writing when he says, you know, you, you say you believe in one God. He says, even the demons believe, but they tremble. And he's, he's pulling out that just having the right doctrine all by itself isn't enough, but he's emphasizing there again, just that oneness yeah. of God. Another passage that you have. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 6. This is, uh, this is one of my, my favorite, favorites, actually, um, and I'll just read it. Uh, the first six verses in chapter 8, it says, Now concerning things, this is Paul talking, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known, as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Therefore, so he gets into the issue now, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom all thing, uh, by whom are all things, and we exist through him." Um, that is a great passage. Yeah. So, so here Paul is obviously dealing with an issue in in the Corinthian church with meat being offered to idols and it, you know issues of consciences and whatnot. And what I love about him is he then gets into a discussion on not well, not the Trinity because he didn't talk, talk about the Spirit, but at least two aspects of God: um, the Father and the Son. And he's using theology right. to address a very practical issue within the church. Yeah. So he deals with the person of God and says. Look, yeah, if you understand who God is, yeah, you you can figure out 
what to do in this situation. Yeah. Um, but what really what he's doing is he's calling on conclusions about the oneness of God right. um, to deal with this issue here. And so, you know, he states words like, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. So he's, he's not saying there actually are, but he's saying that people worship them as if they are. Um, he says, but yet for us, there's but one God. And then he gets into two. two. <laughs> he says, the Father from whom are all things and we exist for him and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by yeah. whom are all things and we exist through him. So he invokes the father and then he invokes Jesus Christ and yet qualifies that in the beginning as this being one God. Right. Another thing that is really interesting is, is that the word Lord in the original, as you know, is kurios, but the way that they understood that in the old Testament is that's how they would translate Yahweh. And so I, I have every reason to believe here that, um, Paul is actually, it, it, for him would be like this. Um, there is but one God, the Father from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord or Yahweh, Jesus Christ. Right. And so here he makes a, a deep connection that this Jesus Christ is the fullness of Yahweh as well. And so I I think about the Old Testament God as just the Father, that's Yahweh, yeah, yeah, and then real. Jesus is the Son. Yeah. But here you have to hold them together that Jesus Christ is Yahweh in every sense, in the fullness of that. Well, and we'll get into more of that, but that's such a huge statement there is that when, when you're looking at, um, well, like Jesus refers to the vision of uh, Isaiah when he saw God yeah. high and lifted up, and he says, that glory that you saw was me. Mm-hmm. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You just <laughs> yeah. called yourself Yahweh, but you're right. People, I know I, I can do that. It's when you hear God in the Old Testament, you think Father. the Father but it's not. It's just it's God, right. and then sometimes you can say it's the Father. Other times, though, you're compelled to say, uh, "No, that's pre pre incarnate Christ. That's the yeah. Son." Um, it's it's really quite fascinating. Yeah, yeah same thing in uh, is it Second Corinthians four. Um, the spirit, wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So if you substitute there Yahweh, now you're thinking of the spirit as Yahweh as well. And so that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. That's, you had a sermon. A f- a while back. It was one of your first Genesis ones and it was just, you did such a great job just going through the whole thing and showing how Christ was Yahweh. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get into that uh, in a later podcast on that actually. But I already made reference to this last one uh, in James 2 verse 19 where he says, um, let me quote it exactly. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Um, so James is written to Jewish believers is probably the first letter written in the uh, early church, and he's dealing with primarily Jewish people. There's a lot of screwed up theology that he's having to correct, Um, and one of them is that they're very arrogant and proud about the fact that they believe the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord your God is one God. Uh, But he's like, look, that in and of itself is not enough. He says, even demons understand that. Um, Just so you just because you, you know, confess doctrinal truth is not the same thing as being saved. And that's what he's really dealing with is, have you been converted? Are you truly people of faith? Because he says faith will show itself in its works. So he's rebuking them that they they have a head knowledge, but they are not necessarily showing that they've been converted. But behind all of that also is a very terrifying statement because he says that the demons are trembling at the fact that God is one. And the question is, why? Why are they trembling that God is one? And it's because of this. There is no other God. 
That means, you know, if if there were competing gods, and I'll just use you, you have got the true God and I have an alternate God, well, then I can hate you, you and your God because I got my God and they can fight it out and we'll see who wins or maybe it's a yin-yang kind of a thing, right, where it's good and evil. We have to just kind of keep it in balance. But there's only one God mm-hmm. and you don't believe in that one God, you're screwed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's nowhere else to flee. And right. I think it's one of the things that goes through my mind all the time when I'm preaching and I look out into our congregation at people who I know have not trusted Christ. And I'm like, do you understand that you have nothing? There's there's nowhere to run. I mean, when heaven and earth flee and all that's left is God— and you're at his throne, there, there's not somebody you can grab and hide behind. I mean, there's only one God. Mm-hmm. Um, and because these demons are enemies of the true God and no salvation is offered to them, all they can do is tremble. And unfortunately for us, humans keep creating all these false gods in their mind, or they think, I don't believe there is a God, that somehow God has to obey that. I mean, yeah. can you imagine the atheist who tries to well, he's not going to be able to, he's going to be looking at God and all he's going to be able to say is, I'm undone. And right. he is, he's undone because no salvation will be offered to him on that day of judgment. But yeah. that's the essence. So the Bible is not silent. It emphasizes there is but one God, not just in numerical, but there's only one God. Alone. Alone. Yeah. And, and you need to worship him. And so what we'll get into the next uh, time is we'll talk about then the fact that the Bible also emphasizes that though God is one and he is alone, that he is revealed in plurality. And so we'll look at, there's a lot more passages than people even realize. We'll look at those and talk about them.